Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hey, true crime besties. Welcome back to an all-new episode of Serialistly. Hey everybody, welcome back to an all new bonus episode of Serialistly. It's me, Annie, your true crime bestie, here to talk all things true crime with you. Now, the reason why I had to jump on here and drop this bonus episode outside of the normal release schedule is because I need to talk to you about this case. It is so wild, there is so much to talk about, so we gotta get right into it. Before we do, please take a quick second, just make sure that you are following along on the podcast so that you don't miss any future episodes and bonus episodes like these that drop, and also follow along on the Serialistly Facebook page where we drop all information regarding giveaways, behind-the-scenes information, guest episodes, Q&As, all sorts of good stuff. All right, now let's get into today's case. Attacks against children is a serious and widespread issue that affects millions of children around the world. One particular form of mistreatment and targeted attacks against children that has gained more attention in recent years is parental alienation, a situation in which one parent attempts to manipulate a child into rejecting the other parent. This can lead to long-term emotional and psychological harm to the child, as well as significant legal consequences. The impact of parental alienation on the child and the rejected parent is devastating. Now, the case we're going to be discussing today is going to be very controversial. So many of you have been requesting it, which is why I'm talking about it, and there is a strong presence of parental alienation, physical, emotional torment, and allegedly even crimes of the sexual nature as well as death. There is a lot to unpack in this case. Now, the reason why there are so many controversial opinions on this and why so many people are confused as to what the truth might be in this case, what parental alienation is, that's what we're going to really be talking about. And I'll be honest, parental alienation is a situation that I really was not familiar with at all until recent years. So we're going to talk more about what that exactly is. But this story aims to shed light on the nature of the issues as well as their effects on the children and families. And of course, the importance of developing effective interventions and support systems. So buckle up, because today we are discussing the heartbreaking and, quite frankly, not talked about enough case of Gracie and Grant Solomon. This is an extremely controversial case. Like I said, I want to mention it one more time, and it deals with very sensitive information. So please, make sure to always do your own research and form your own opinions. Everything included in this video is strictly my opinion, and it is all alleged until the court system proves otherwise. This story begins with Angie, the mother of Grant and Gracie. Despite growing up in a less-than-ideal household, Angie preserved and found her passions in basketball and singing. She earned her bachelor's degree and went on to obtain her doctorate in pharmaceuticals. An extremely intelligent and educated woman, with hard work and determination, she bought her own home and was on track to living a fulfilling and very successful life. However, as an adult in 2001, Angie reconnected with a boy from her high school, a boy named Aaron Solomon. At the time, Aaron was working as a sports anchor for VSMV, the NBC News affiliate for Nashville, Tennessee. He and Angie quickly began a relationship, and only six weeks later, she discovered that she was pregnant with their first child, Grant. Despite intending to raise Grant on her own, though, Angie felt pressure from her parents to marry Aaron so that their child would have a father figure. 
After being in a relationship for only two months, Angie reluctantly agreed to the marriage. Four years later, on October 17, 2006, Angie welcomed a second child, a daughter named Gracie. As a child, Grant was known for his upbeat personality and remarkable talents. He was incredibly close to his mother and his little sister, Gracie, whom he saw himself as a protector for. At the age of four, he started playing baseball and the field really became his safe haven. Grant developed into a very gifted baseball pitcher who even caught the attention of Division I schools during his high school years. Now, before we go any further in this, I just want to make this very clear. That again, everything we are talking about is alleged, and from the mouths of Gracie and her mother. I understand that when it comes to child custody and divorce and all of the things we are discussing today, things can get very messy. So I just want to stress, everything that we're going over is all allegations made from Gracie and from Angie. According to Angie, her and Aaron's relationship quickly turned tumultuous after Grant's birth. Angie reported that Aaron had frequent violent outbursts and was manipulative, doing whatever he could to exert control over her. He even allegedly cheated on her numerous times, further contributing to the deterioration of their relationship. And to make it even worse, Angie allegedly also found out that Aaron was allegedly grooming several underage girls as well as hiring different workers in the sex industry. In 2011, Aaron reportedly voluntarily resigned from his position as a sports anchor, although Angie claims he was actually terminated due to the discovery of inappropriate content on his computer and his phone. In 2014, he transitioned to a role as a financial advisor for Merrill Lynch, an investment management firm. Despite the ongoing torment and challenges that Angie was facing, she attempted to seek therapy. However, Aaron refused to give her any privacy, often attending and even listening in on her sessions, apparently. According to her, he refused to let her spend any extended periods of time alone, so after a few sessions, he couldn't take it anymore, and he joined her in therapy, where Angie was there diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, stemming from all of the different torment and attacks that she had experienced throughout her life, including her childhood. And allegedly, Aaron was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, as well as having an addiction to sex. According to some reports, the harm that Aaron inflicted on Angie intensified after the birth of their daughter, Gracie. He appeared to be consistently angry, particularly toward Angie and their son, Grant. In early January 2013, five-year-old Gracie confided in her mother, making very disturbing allegations about her father. Aaron had apparently forbidden Angie from giving Gracie baths, insisting that only he could do so. Now, if this is true, and it is according to Gracie and Angie, this is a ginormous red flag. As time passed, Angie noticed that Gracie would become extremely upset and plead not to take baths. It wasn't until Gracie came forward with her horrifying accusations that Angie discovered the reason for her daughter's distress. Now, I can't quote Gracie directly because YouTube will for sure flag me, but it is extremely disturbing, these allegations. Gracie told her mom that her dad was actually hurting her in a physical and sexual nature during bath time by putting soap inside of her and that that was really hurting her. Angie confronted Aaron about Gracie's allegations, and allegedly, he confessed to them. However, according to Angie, he warned her that if she told anybody, he would take their children away from her. During this period, Angie began seeing another therapist named Dr. Reed to figure out a way to escape from Aaron. She began taking notes on her phone about the various incidents and corresponding with a therapist via email to develop a plan, an escape plan. Gracie alleges that both sets of grandparents knew about what was happening as well and what her father had been doing to her, but for whatever reason, they chose to support him. In May of 2013, the situation reached a new low. Prior to this, Angie, Grant, and Gracie had been sleeping in the master bedroom without Aaron. Whenever Aaron had these violent outbursts, they would lock themselves in the master bedroom to keep safe. Well, on May 9th, 2013, Aaron allegedly had another one of his angry outbursts, causing everyone to flee. In an attempt to escape his wrath, Angie took herself and the children to the master bedroom. 
However, Aaron called her into the bathroom and allegedly he hit her on the side of the head, then proceeded to strangle her with the cord of a hairdryer. During this incident, Grant walked in and witnessed his father strangling his mother. Grant was able to intervene and stop Aaron from potentially killing his mother, Angie. Angie managed to escape from the house at that moment, but neither she nor Grant reported the incident to authorities. Angie was too frightened to do so herself, and she also warned Grant not to tell anybody because she was concerned for his safety as well. However, in a weird twist, Aaron actually called 911 himself to report the incident. And let me just say, that right there is kind of out of the narcissist playbook to be the one to call 911 after you just attacked your wife so that you can be the one to control the narrative and get ahead of the story. And what he does next is beyond extreme. Angie claims that her parents had come over to the house and spoken with Aaron, and that's when he called the authorities to report that Angie had attempted to take her own life by using that cord of the hairdryer. Angie stated that Aaron and her parents forced her to go to Parthenon Centennial Hospital and receive treatment while sticking with that story that she was mentally ill and had made an attempt on her own life. After speaking with the doctor alone at the hospital, Angie revealed that the story that was told to the hospital staff about her attempting to take her own life was not true. She disclosed that Aaron was actually the harmful one who had been physically harming her and who had attempted to take her life that night with that hairdryer cord. They allowed her to spend the night at the hospital to relax a little, and following the doctor's advice, she obtained a restraining order against Aaron. However, when she returned home on May 11th, she discovered that the house was completely empty. Aaron and the children had vanished, and despite her repeated phone calls, neither Aaron, her parents, nor Aaron's parents answered. The next day on May 12th, which also happened to be Mother's Day, Angie had hoped that Aaron would bring the children to see her. However, instead of Aaron, the police showed up at her house. Apparently, Aaron had called 911 once again, again claiming that Angie was trying to end her life. But the police, after examining the situation, didn't find any evidence to support Aaron's claim. They believed that Angie was likely in a very toxic and harmful relationship, and they left without taking any further action. According to the medical report, Angie spent less than 24 hours at that medical center, where she was evaluated for life-ending thoughts. She was brought in by paramedics and accompanied by her husband and her parents. Despite the confusion about whether her presentation was due to attacks or a life-ending attempt, she was admitted, of course, out of caution. The psychiatric evaluation suggested that Angie was likely in a very toxic and harmful relationship with her husband and may have been mistreated as a child by her parents. According to the medical chart, Dr. Michael Murphy, the admitting physician, spoke with Angie's psychiatrist who revealed that the plan was for her to leave the house and file for a divorce. The chart indicated that Angie did not display any signs of depression, nor did she express any thoughts about ending her own life. Additionally, her chart showed that her outpatient psychiatrist confirmed that she had not attempted to end her life in the past. Dr. Murphy also noted that there was no evidence that Angie had attempted to use that cord on herself, and he did not believe that she was in an acute state of mind that would lead to ending her own life. She was diagnosed with major depression in remission and was given a global assessment of functioning score of 65. It was noted in the discharge summary that she was in a risky situation with her possibly violent husband and that her parents were unreliable sources of information. However, Angie was cooperative and calm during that entire assessment and admission process. The summary also indicated that there were no changes to her outpatient medication schedule and there was no concern for life-ending ideations or harm to herself or others. Therefore, it was concluded that Angie was not a danger to herself or others. So after obtaining a restraining order against Aaron, Angie anxiously awaited news of her children's whereabouts. Despite repeatedly reaching out to the police, they appeared unwilling to take action. Meanwhile, Aaron had filed for divorce and obtained an order of protection against Angie for himself and their children, who he was granted full custody of. Over the next several months, Angie fought relentlessly to regain custody of her children, while Gracie and Grant remained with their father. Gracie revealed that neither she nor her brother wanted to live with their father, Aaron, due to his strict and physically harmful behavior. He imposed strict dietary restrictions, allowing only meat and vegetables while completely prohibiting sugar. 
According to a friend of Grant's, he lost 25 pounds and appeared noticeably frail and skinny during the first year that he lived with his father. One incident allegedly involved Grant attempting to escape by jumping out of a moving car, but his father Aaron grabbed him by the wrist so hard that Grant thought it was broken. Gracie also noticed years later that Grant would often hold his wrist, suggesting that he may have suffered an injury from the incident. On June 21, 2013, as things are beginning to escalate, the divorce hearing took place before Judge Philip E. Smith, with Aaron represented by two attorneys, David Scott and Michael Parsley, and Angie was represented by Joni Abernathy. During the hearing, Aaron used Angie's father and sister to testify against her, but medical experts who examined Angie testified in her favor. They presented evidence indicating that she was not thinking about ending her own life and did not attempt to ever harm herself. Instead, they confirmed that Angie was in fact a victim of domestic disputes. During the end of the hearing, despite the medical experts testifying on Angie's behalf, Judge Smith ultimately ruled in Aaron's favor. Now, I want to just be clear, because again, we are only getting one side of the story here. We are only getting Angie and Gracie's version of events here. Now, I'm not saying that her family is toxic or not toxic, but we do have to take into consideration that her sister and her parents were testifying on Aaron's behalf, not hers. So if there is more to the story underneath the surface that we don't know about, it is entirely possible. It also is entirely possible that due to whatever she suffered in her childhood, that her parents are toxic and maybe they are advocating for the wrong side. We don't know, so just keep an open mind as we continue to go through, but I just want to remind you all of that. Over the following six months, Angie reached out to her counselor more frequently to find a solution. She also diligently documented any instances of physical harm, neglect, or manipulation committed by Aaron. By 2014, the courts granted Angie two hours of supervised visitation per week, and Aaron finally allowed her to see the children. However, during her visits, Angie observed that her children were not doing well, not at all. Grant had allegedly lost a significant amount of weight again, and Gracie had dark, discolored bags under her eyes. It was evident that the children were going through a lot of suffering, showing physical signs of exhaustion. It was clear that something here needed to be done. Now, the court ruled that Angie could not have any parenting time until she underwent a full psychiatric evaluation, which she did. And the evaluation clearly stated that Angie was a fully capable parent based on ample evidence. Dr. Reed, Angie's longtime psychiatrist, informed the court that her mental health prognosis was excellent and that Aaron had manipulated the court into believing that she was much worse off than she actually was. The psychiatrist also revealed that the children had made several comments about what they had endured under Aaron's care. Despite this, Aaron retained custody of the children, with Angie only permitted to visit them for six hours per week. In November of 2014, Gracie had told her mother that her dad was still attacking her in a sexual manner. Going into 2015, Gracie told her mom more and more about these allegations. She stated that there were times that she would randomly become very sleepy, and then she would wake up in her father's bed with the inside of her thighs and privates burning, but that she could never remember why. There was a time when Gracie managed to FaceTime her mother without Aaron noticing, and during the call, she showed her mother a series of bruises on her inner thighs. Gracie couldn't recall how she got the bruises, but Aaron claimed that they were just rashes from her swimsuit, which Gracie apparently knew was not true. Gracie also alleged that if she or Grant said something that upset Aaron while they were driving, he would start driving very fast just to scare them. During this period, Aaron had inherited a trust fund worth more than $1 million from a deceased aunt, and he had been receiving monthly payments of about $100,000 for several months. He had a lot of money, a lot of money to burn. However, despite receiving all of this money, in April of 2015, he reported to the police that Angie was not paying child support, and this led to her arrest. This was seen as a threat to her to keep her from speaking out about the allegations that she had recently discovered from her daughter, Gracie. As a result, Angie says that she spent the next three years struggling to appease Aaron, to remain silent, and to fight for the safety of herself and her children. 
Angie says that she persisted in reaching out to various law enforcement agencies, church members, and the Grace Christian Academy to express her concerns about her and her children's safety. She even tried to report Aaron for potentially grooming other students at the high school, but her warnings were dismissed. Despite her efforts, in August of 2018, both Grant and Gracie fled their home with Aaron for the first time. But Aaron quickly reported them to the police as missing and had them brought back. He requested that the police take them back to his house in what Gracie believes was an attempt to intimidate them into never disobeying him again. Now, the weekend of August 17th and 18th, 2018, starts to take a turn. Grant had a baseball tournament in North Carolina, and Angie had filed for an emergency custody hearing based on allegations of dependent neglect and physical harm by Aaron. So Grant stayed at his tournament, and Gracie and Aaron were on their way back to Tennessee for the custody hearing. Along the way, Aaron booked a hotel room with only one bed, despite Gracie's request for a room with two beds. Gracie claims that not only did they have to share the bed together, but that her father attacked her that night as well. During the court hearing the next day, Gracie recounted the events of the previous night and provided a detailed description of what her father had done to her. However, Aaron's lawyer aggressively challenged her recollection, insisting that she was mistaken and that nothing inappropriate had occurred. The lawyer even got in Gracie's face, alleging to convince her that she was misremembering and that her allegations were false. Grant also submitted a letter to the courts detailing the physical actions that were taking place that he had endured at the hands of his father. He expressed that he was living in fear of his father, who restricted his food, humiliated him by calling him fat, and made him work endlessly for baseball without any breaks. According to Grant, Aaron only saw him as a reflection of his own parenting excellence, based solely on his baseball talents. Grant stated that his father would lie about his mother's mental health, despite having evidence that proved otherwise. He and Gracie both expressed their desire to live with their mother, and that every moment spent with their father was filled with terror. At the conclusion of the case, Williamson County Circuit Court Judge Deanna Johnson dismissed the petition, citing lack of merit. Furthermore, she barred Angie from filing any additional civil lawsuits against Aaron for the next six years. Essentially, the judge discredited Gracie and Angie's claims, assuming that Angie was filing these lawsuits out of spite rather than genuine concern. Despite Gracie's clear fear, she was forced to return to her father's custody and travel back to North Carolina to retrieve her brother. Unfortunately, nobody seemed to take Gracie's concerns seriously. Now, Aaron attends the same church as many influential members of the court system in their Tennessee county, including Governor Bill Lee. They all attend Grace Chapel Church, where Aaron and his children, Gracie and Grant, have been involved for several years, even going to school in the same building. While the church and the school are separate entities, they do share similar ideologies, and many members believe that Aaron is a good man who attends church, gives back to the community, and is a great father. Law enforcement, the courts, and the government all seem inclined to believe Aaron due to their shared affiliation with the same church and ideologies. Furthermore, in this case, it was alleged that Judge Johnson had spoken with the pastor of the church shortly before making her ruling. Now, this has led Angie to believe that there is an additional bias at play here. In May of that year, Gracie and Grant were supposed to live with a family friend under DCS care, although their father was still granted some custody. There was a moment when Grant and a friend were celebrating in court, as they believed they would no longer have to live with their father, but it turned out to be short-lived, because he still had more custody than their mother. Gracie had also tried to confide in staff members at her high school, Grace Christian Academy, about the physical attacks that she was enduring at the hands of her father. One day, the principal called her into the office and advised her to stop talking about what was happening, to preserve her reputation. After hearing this, her brother Grant had enough and decided to stop going to school until he got a meeting with the principal. Grant got his meeting with the principal where they just justified their actions by explaining that they were just trying to save Gracie's reputation. Grant went to the school pastor and told him about the alleged actions that were taking place, but still nobody apparently took any action. Now, in the video I'm about to show, Angie records Aaron in a doctor's parking lot, trying to coerce Gracie into going with him. Prior to this, Angie was in the car line to pick up Gracie for a doctor's appointment. However, Aaron showed up at the school to demand that he take Gracie to the appointment instead. 
The school followed Aaron's demand even after Gracie broke down and told the principal why she didn't want to go with her father. This is where headmaster Robbie Mason says that Gracie's claims are old news and then puts her in the car with her father. Angie, still very concerned, followed Gracie and Aaron to the doctor. This is the conversation in the parking lot after Gracie's appointment. Well, I'm missing the party right now. I'm, please. I right, want to so, ride with mom. All right, so then after the party, you go with me and Grant to Mississippi? I don't, I don't want to go to Mississippi, please. I just want to stay. Okay, Gracie, you're coming to me eventually. Because you guys are breaking the rules. I'm not. You two are breaking the rules. I'm not. Is that what you think it is? No, I know what it is. I understand, but at some point, we're supposed to be following rules that aren't being followed. And there's reasons for the rules, and it doesn't matter what me, us three think. And we've had this conversation a number of times, but it's going to stop. Gracie will be coming to me at some point. Whether you like it or not, it will happen. Because I'm not going to continue to allow us to be breaking the rules. And you shouldn't be allowing it either. And you shouldn't be allowing it either. It's not just about what you want right now. It's, it's, it's much bigger than that. And I've tried to play nice and be nice about it. And you, and, but you've been with mom way more than you're supposed to. And more than, way more than what the judge there said. Shouldn't be it doesn't matter what you think right now. Grant and Gracie's former guardian ad litem testified that she had never seen the level of control exerted over the children as by Aaron Solomon. And then everything regarding this case, the custody dispute, the domestic disputes, everything, was about to go from bad to incredibly worse. Because on July 20th, 2020, now 18-year-old Grant drove an hour to school at Grace Christian Academy for baseball practice. Remember, they were living with a family friend at the time, which explains the long commute. However, just 15 minutes before practice, Grant was struck by his own truck and killed. And the only witness to this incident was none other than his father, Aaron. On the same day, around 8.44 a.m., Aaron called 911 from the parking lot to report an incident. He initially claimed that Grant had parked his truck at his practice location at the Ward Performance Center Institute in Gallatin, Tennessee. Aaron said that he parked his own car and was looking at his phone when he noticed that Grant's truck was no longer parked next to him. Shortly after, he heard a loud crash and saw the truck rolling down the hill and into the ditch, hitting Grant and dragging him with the truck. When the police arrived to take his statement, he told the police that he saw Grant get out of the truck and grab his baseball gear from the bed of the truck. Then he saw the truck start backing up, hitting and dragging Grant all the way to the ditch and trapping him underneath the car. During the 911 call, Aaron initially claimed that there were three other witnesses to the incident but this was never mentioned again. He stated that he had three guys here, but later he changed his story and reported that he was the only one present to witness the incident. Now have a listen to this call. I'm trying. Where's your emergency? It's 1357 South Water Street. It's off 109, please hurry. You said 57? Please hurry. Okay, what's going on? Uh, my my son's truck backed over him, and he, it's rolled over him and dragged him into the ditch, and it's on top of him. He's trapped under the truck, and I, I yeah, he, I, I, somehow it drug him underneath it. Yes, my son is under it. I'm trying to, no, I'm, I'm trying to call 911. Okay, what's your name? Oh, my God. My name is Aaron Solomon. And you said oh my God. 1357 Southwater Avenue, right? Yes. How old yes. is the male? He's 18. He just turned 18 a couple weeks, about a month ago. It's my son. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is not good. Is he awake and Oh, please hurry. I don't know. I don't think so. He's not, uh, he's not alert, right? No, he's out. And he's trapped. I got three guys here and he's trapped under the truck 
Okay. Oh, my God. I understand, sir. Stay on the phone with me while we get somebody out there. What's your name? Aaron Solomon. All right, Aaron. Huh? What kind of vehicle is it? It's a Toyota Tacoma, Tacoma and it, the, the vehicle has to, he's underneath the vehicle. Okay, I've got and the, that. And, and it's. Okay, I've got that. What color is it? It's a white truck. That's my son. He, it, somehow it backed up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on one. I'm on with 911 right now. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Was your son working on it? No, no, he was just getting out of it. It's the hill. It's we're on an incline, and I guess he didn't have it in park or something, or it wasn't engaged, or. Oh my God! Is oh my God! I can't believe still not responding? No, no. And he's still in no. the truck. No one can get yes. out from under it. No, it's no. We saw units and route to you. I'm just asking you questions for we can huh? update him, okay? Can you check and see huh? he's breathing? I, I, somebody's telling me that he's coming too. Okay, maybe. He is, he is waking up. Maybe. Kind of, Kind of keeping still, so he is. Well, he can't, yeah, he can't move. I don't think he can move. I I don't know. Okay, I no, he can't move. He's trapped. Okay, well, we got somebody in route now. When he wakes uh, up, he might I'm be telling scared. Him, man. Can somebody I'm get down him. there and talk to him? Yeah, somebody talk to him. There. Shit. Gee, there's blood. What, is he facing up or down? He's facing up. They said he may aspirate. We need to hurry. Oh my God! So does he have blood coming out of his mouth? Yeah, he's, yeah. There's blood coming out. Yeah, somehow it drug him down. I think I don't know whether it wasn't in park or what, or if it didn't engage the brake, or it drug him underneath somehow. Okay. They said he's facing up. Okay. But he's bleeding from his mouth. So. Grant, turn your face to the side if you can, barely, but be careful. Don't move him, okay? We can't move him. We can't. We can't move him. Oh my God. All right, these and they're there. I'm gonna let you go, okay? Now, in my opinion, Aaron sounds remarkably calm in this 911 call. Despite repeatedly stating that Grant is trapped, he doesn't appear to have checked whether he is actually stuck under the truck. While there were no witnesses to the actual incident, someone who arrived on the scene afterwards observed that Aaron was standing on top of a hill, pacing back and forth while on the phone with the dispatcher. This witness also noted that Aaron never went over the truck to check on Grant or attempt to rescue him, which seems very strange considering the circumstances. One would expect a parent to rush to their child's aid in such a situation, but Aaron kept his distance from the scene, kept his distance entirely, apparently. Shortly after the 911 call, ambulances arrived at the scene. Police reports indicate that when they arrived, Grant was lying on his back underneath the front of the truck between the tires. The tires were not putting any weight on his body at the time, and he was bleeding from the scalp, nose, and ears. He was unresponsive initially, but still breathing. The paramedics removed him from underneath the truck, started CPR, and put him in the ambulance. However, by the time they reached the hospital at 9.30 a.m., he was pronounced dead. Hospital staff found one laceration on the back of his skull and three bruises, one on his jaw, one on his left hip, and the other near his right thigh. Although he had a head injury, the cause of his death was determined to be cardiac arrest. Aaron provided his statement to the police at the hospital where Grant was and was given paperwork to fill out as well. Aaron made the decision not to have an autopsy performed on Grant and also declined to donate his organs. This decision was made before Angie even arrived at the hospital, and she was not consulted on any of these matters, apparently. Angie expressed frustration with this decision, as she believed an autopsy could have provided valuable information and that Grant's organs could have been used to save other lives. Despite these concerns, police quickly closed the case, ruling Grant's death as an accident. 
However, Angie, Gracie, and their supporters find many aspects of this situation very troubling and unsatisfying, to say the least. Now, I can definitely understand why people have concerns about the story. Firstly, the claim that Grant was dragged under the truck doesn't match up with the injuries that he sustained. He only had one laceration on the back of his head and had three bruises on his jaw, hip, and thigh, with no scrapes or marks from being dragged over pavement, rocks, and grass. Also, the truck had been driven for an hour to reach the practice location, so it would have been hot, yet there are no burn marks on Grant's body. There are also no signs of blood, scuff marks, or burn marks on the asphalt where he likely would have hit his head and sustained the injury that caused him to bleed out. This figure compares Grant's height to the truck and suggests that he was backed up over by the truck despite reports that the weight of the tires was not on top of him. However, there is no evidence of bruising on his back, butt, or abdomen, nor any scrapes or scratch marks. If he had been hit and dragged, these types of injuries would be expected, you would think. Additionally, if he had fallen and hit his head, it would have been at the time of the impact as blunt force trauma would have caused him to fall back. The shoes that Grant was wearing during the incident are pictured here, and they appear to be completely clean, without any dirt or scuff marks, despite the claim that Grant's body was dragged through rocks, grass, and dirt. Additionally, photos from the scene suggest that the car started in the parking lot, backed over the grass depicted in the image, and ended up in a ditch with the tires on the sidewalk, supposedly all while dragging Grant's body. Upon examining the scene photos, it is apparent that there are no tracks or damage to the grass where Grant's body was allegedly dragged through, despite claims that the car had driven over it. However, there are clear tire marks on the sidewalk leading to the ditch, indicating that the car had driven forward onto the sidewalk. Notably, there are no tire marks or scuff marks in the parking lot where Grant was allegedly dragged, contrary to the presence of tire marks on the sidewalk where the car had driven forward. Grant's glasses were also found on the sidewalk, which is unusual because he always wore them and couldn't see without them. It's unclear how they ended up there, whether he dropped them or if they were knocked off or if somebody intentionally removed them. However, they were not found in the parking lot where he was allegedly hit by the car. If he had fallen and lost his glasses in that parking lot, it's unlikely that they would have remained on him as he was dragged, only to fall off after he was pinned underneath the car. Make it make sense. It does not add up. The math ain't mathin'. Further examination of the scene showed a rock with blood on it was found next to the front driver's side door in the ditch. Despite Grant's only reported injury being blunt force trauma to the head, there was no blood on the pavement, only on the rock. So it raises the question, did Grant hit his head on the rock or on the pavement, as Aaron claimed? If the truck had indeed backed all the way up into the ditch, it would have sustained significant damage. Yet the only visible damage is a slightly damaged back bumper. And experts assert that the back bumper on a Toyota Tacoma is easily breakable. When the EMTs arrived, they used a jack to lift the car and to pull out Grant's body. So it's possible that the contact of the back bumper with the sidewalk during the lifting process caused the minor damage. And just so we're very, very clear here, according to the reported story, the truck allegedly rolled backwards all the way across the parking lot and into the deep ditch, even going up the other side. However, the depth and the terrain of the ditch make it extremely improbable for the truck to make such a maneuver without incurring significant damage. The force of impact would have been much greater and caused way more damage to the truck. So that right there, what we just discussed, is pretty much all of the sketchy stuff going on with the actual scene itself. And after the incident, the truck was taken back to Aaron's driveway and kept there for a year. However, by February of 2021, Angie learned that the truck had been taken to a scrapyard in Nashville. The photo of the truck taken after the incident shows almost no damage, which really doesn't seem to warrant scrapping the vehicle. It's possible that insurance could have covered the repair costs, so that part is really strange. Why scrap it? Fortunately, Angie was able to obtain the truck and have it forensically examined. Now, allegedly, the results indicated that the accident could not have occurred the way Aaron described. However, 
Even despite the history of the domestic allegations, the death of Aaron's son, his daughter's claims of attacks, and the inconsistencies in the scene itself, the Gallatin Police Department refuses to investigate. However, the family suspects foul play on Aaron's part. Before his death, Grant had just turned 18 one month prior, and he had always had a history of protecting his sister Gracie. With his newly attained adult status, the family hoped that he would be taken more seriously in court and in the church. The family suspect that Aaron intentionally drove the truck over the sidewalk where Grant was possibly standing, causing him to fall back and hit his head on that nearby rock, then left the truck over Grant to kill him and prevent him from exposing Aaron's alleged attacks on Gracie. On May 12, 2021, Gracie, who was 14 years old at the time, made a brave decision to expose the secrets and the lies that had been kept hidden for far too long. In an 18-minute-long video uploaded to YouTube, she shared the story of her attacks that she had suffered from a very young age. Gracie boldly stated that her father, Aaron, was a dishonest, controlling, and violent person. She recounted instances where he had attempted to harm her mother and had even inflicted harm on Gracie herself. She also revealed her belief that Aaron had killed her brother, Grant, and that she feared for her own life. I hate my dad. I'm absolutely terrified of him for everything he's done to me, my brother, and my mom. I don't want to call him my dad anymore. He's never listened to me. He's hurt me sexually, physically, and mentally. Ever since I was born, my dad has done awful things to me. First, he never let my mom bathe me. It was always him. So by not letting my mom come in at all, it meant that he could do anything to me. I would always tell my mom I felt like I was more like a wife to him instead of his daughter. He would always bring his phone to the bathroom with him. At the time, I didn't know it, but I strongly believed he was taking pictures and videos. I had to learn to hide my body from him by flipping my hair over because he wouldn't leave me alone while I was showering or getting out. Dad is super manipulative and has manipulated so many people. He even tries to convince me that I am being brainwashed by my mom and everything I remember never happened. He tries to scare me into thinking my mom's house is unsafe. He knows how scared I am of robberies and kidnapping or getting taken from my mom. In fact, he took me away from my mom for years when I was just ending my kindergarten year. Later on, he told me that I was never going back to my mom and that she was actually dead. I don't remember when I found out that she was alive, but I know Grant and I both believe she was dead for years because of him. Grant and my dad never had a good father-son relationship because of my dad. Dad would always harm, threaten, scare, and stress Grant out so, so badly. Before my dad took us from my mom, Grant and I were scared of dad because of his ridiculous and terrifying behavior. From trying to kill my mom and constantly yelling at her to freaking us out from all the things he has done to us and our mom. When he took us, he was just as mean and hurtful as he is now. This is from October 21st, 2020. Ever since Grant, my brother passed, three months ago yesterday, my dad, Aaron Solomon, has been stalking us and just coming at us by throwing away and forgetting about boundaries I had set. I set boundaries for myself a while back, and he pretty much went by those for almost two years. But why when Grant died, he came up to me. He literally just entered himself into our home and was hugging me and playing with my hair. I hated when he did that. It makes me gag, and it makes me think of the things that he has done to me. According to Gracie, for the two years leading up to Grant's death, she had established boundaries with Aaron after attending therapy, and for the most part, he had mostly respected them. The attacks had stopped for the most part, apparently. However, after Grant's death, they started back up again. Gracie claimed that Aaron would show up at the house where she was staying unannounced and try to touch her hair or hug her. He would try to convince her to come over to his house, but she always refused. He would also find her friends and take videos of them, sending them to Gracie. Despite having a restraining order in place, Aaron has been ignoring it, showing up at her school and attempting to contact her, and Gracie has not been able to catch a break from him. After the video was uploaded, Gracie was placed in DCF custody by court order due to the concerns of psychological harm. Angie stated that this is an unprecedented move, despite Gracie's desire to live with her mother and seek justice for her brother's death at the hands of their alleged harmful father. In addition to Gracie's video, a friend also posted a video on the same YouTube channel detailing what she knew about Gracie's experiences. 
There is also a Justice for Grant YouTube page that goes through the scene and discrepancies in various videos. Now, Aaron has filed a defamation lawsuit against Angie and a group of Gracie's friends, alleging that all of the allegations made in Gracie's video are completely untrue. He claims that after multiple attempts to defame him in court, Angie resorted to social media to extort him into giving up custody and raise money for herself. According to the lawsuit, all of the claims made in the video, including the allegations of the attacks from Gracie and Grant, Aaron's diagnosis as a sex addict and a narcissist, and his termination from his job as a sports anchor due to inappropriate content on his computer, are all entirely fabricated. Under the pretext of their right to free speech, Angie and her team appealed the lawsuit, and Aaron eventually withdrew it. However, as of last year, in 2022, it's reported that his legal team is planning to refile the lawsuit at the federal level. The details about this part of the case are quite limited. We do know that Gracie is safe now and living with her mother, but it appears that nothing has been done regarding Aaron. Despite the accusations from Angie, which many have turned a blind eye to, the family continues to plea for help, but those individuals have refused to comment. This includes the church and the schools that Gracie attended. While the school claims that they were unaware of any attack allegations, screenshots on the Freedom for Gracie website reveal conversations where multiple individuals within the church, within the courts, and the school agreed to meetings where the allegations were discussed. Although the individuals involved deny knowing about any of these allegations, there is evidence that suggests they may have known. For more specific screenshots and conversations, you can visit the timeline section of the website Freedom for Gracie. The website provides a detailed timeline of events from the time that Angie met Aaron up to the present day. It also includes a page that outlines the details of Grant's death, police and hospital reports, information about those who ignored their cries for help, and profiles of the individuals involved. So if you are interested in learning more about this case and examining the evidence for yourself, please visit the website. And I encourage you to do so so that you are forming your own opinion in this matter. In addition, there is an active Instagram page and a GoFundMe account set up to support Gracie in her legal battles as she seeks justice for herself and her late brother, with the funds being used to assist in the costs associated with her legal proceedings and the challenges with the court systems and DCS. I just wanted to say thank you. It means so much that people are actually listening and, you know, honestly showing respect. Um, I haven't had that for the past 14 years. And now it's, it's still a really hard time and there's a lot going on, but there's just this feeling inside of me that feels more hopeful. And so I thank you so much. And I wanna be an advocate when I'm older. So, and I honestly think this is the beginning and maybe I can start now, but I just, as I speak, I hope that this is helping other children or maybe even moms because I know there are other people out there that go through the same thing. And I just wanted to say thank you. It means so much to me. So again, once you review all of the evidence and make a determination for yourself of what you believe is the truth in this matter, you are free to donate at your own discretion or not donate. Entirely up to you. In my view, it's pretty hard to fathom why Gracie and her family would fabricate such serious accusations. It's not as if they have anything to gain from putting themselves through this kind of ordeal. Furthermore, impartial professionals in the court system have testified that it is likely that Angie and her children were victims in this situation of Aaron. These individuals are trained solely to rely on the facts and use their medical expertise to arrive at conclusions, rather than any personal bias or preconceptions. So it doesn't make sense to me that the courts would believe Aaron, who has a strong personal interest in the outcome, over medical professionals who have no personal stake in the case, other than protecting their patients. Even the best of us would be biased in favor of ourselves and our children, so it's puzzling that the courts would believe the biased party over those whose job it is to be impartial. But, like I said at the top of this video, parental alienation is a very real thing. So while, according to Angie and Gracie, Aaron was the one doing the alienating of the children from Angie and painting her as the crazy, scorned, harmful woman that, you know, was trying to take her own life, it is entirely possible, just playing devil's advocate here, guys, it is entirely possible, since we are only getting one version of the story right now, 
that there is parental alienation happening on Angie's side. We need to be unbiased here and look at both sides. And again, that's because in recent years I have learned what parental alienation is, so it is very important to gather all information from both sides, not just one narrative, and make a determination from there. I personally do believe that Gracie is a victim of a flawed system and attacks, and it has caused her a great deal of suffering. From what side? It's unclear. I do fully trust her account of events and feel that we should all be advocating for justice on her behalf, given what I have seen. But if there is other evidence that I have not seen that has not been brought forward yet, then my opinion may change. Additionally, as it stands now, I personally have doubts about Aaron's description of Grant's death, and not to mention the circumstances, location, and the timing that suggests that it was a heat-of-the-moment decision. Physical attacks is often viewed as an isolated incident that occurs without warning or intervention. However, this perception is what different enablers and actual perpetrators want people to believe. In reality, victims frequently speak out, but those in position of power may ignore their pleas or prioritize their own interests over the victim's well-being. The Freedom for Gracie movement seeks to not only help Gracie escape from her situation, but also bring justice for Grant, who suffered from neglect and inadequate support when he tried to report the attacks and what was going on. This movement highlights the importance of believing and supporting victims, as well as the responsibility of individuals and institutions to take action and hold these people and these perpetrators accountable for their actions. This case has raised significant questions about the adequacy of current child protection services and has sparked a larger conversation about how society can better protect vulnerable children from these attacks. The Grant-Solomon case serves as a sombering reminder of the urgent need for a more proactive approach to child welfare, and it highlights the importance of taking all allegations seriously. So if you're interested in following this case and supporting Angie and her children, please consider following the Freedom for Gracie Instagram page, signing the petition, donating to their GoFundMe if you want, and checking out their website. I think it's important that if you support them, you show them that support and show them that we hear them, support them, and that we're in their corner as they fight this. Let me know what you guys think about this case. If you have heard about this situation, if there's details I missed, what you believe, and what you believe to be the truth in this. As I mentioned again, I'm just going to say it as a disclaimer. Everything in this video is my opinion. It's all alleged until a court system proves it. And always do your own research to form your own opinions. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another bonus episode with me. Like I said at the top of this episode, make sure you're following the podcast so that you don't miss any more bonus episodes in the future. And if you would be so kind as to just quickly rate this podcast, review it, it takes 30 seconds max to leave a review, and it really does help the algorithm and help push this podcast out to more people so that these victim stories get heard, which we know is the goal. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to another bonus episode, and I will be talking to you again very, very soon. All right, it's me, Annie, signing off.